This month's episodes are sponsored by Crossway, publisher of the English Standard Version of the Bible and many helpful Bible resources, such as the ESV Bible with Creeds and Confessions. This resource contains 13 important creeds and confessions from church history placed after the ESV text, including the Apostles' Creed, the Belgic Confession, and the Heidelberg Catechism. With introductions written by Chad Van Dixhorn, you will come away with a better grasp of history and original purpose of each historical articulation of the Christian faith. Available in True Tone, True Tone Overboard, and Premium Goatskin Leather. Learn more at crossway.org. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. It is episode 104, and today I'm going to talk about why we're so divided. Why in this season... In this particular moment, with coronavirus, with all the stuff about race relations in our country, why are we so divided in our approach to what's going on? Let's pray, ask for the Lord's help, and hopefully I can identify what I think is the main issue and we can get some traction. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that actually unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ. And across the land, there are pastors who are approaching what we're facing today in 2020 from different angles. And are very heated about it and very willing to divide about it. And so help us to look to Jesus, help us to unite around the cross of Christ, and then help us to move forward. Help us to do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. So help me to pinpoint what I think is this issue here and and be clear about it. And God, I trust you're going to help. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. First, let's define what I'm talking about with the we. Why are we so divided? And I want to specifically highlight the main reason I think we're divided. And and so it's going to be titled, Here's Why We're Divided. So we're going to be talking to Christians, to evangelicals, and then more specifically to Reformed Christians. And the central issue, listen up, lean in, get on the edge of your seat. The, The main issue that I think is causing division among us is mission idolatry. Now, you can look back at episode 92 and hear me talk about mission idolatry and kind of get a background about what I'm talking about here. So if you finish this episode and think, well, okay, I want to go listen to that one, just scroll down and listen to episode 92 where I talk about mission idolatry here. But what I talk about in episode 92 is is the elevation of mission to an inappropriate place in the life of the church. And what mission idolatry ends up doing is it leads to putting public witness before anything else. Putting public witness before anything else. What I think is happening in 2020 is that we have been approaching every situation that we face, not first wanting to obey God, but first asking the question, what is going to preserve my public witness to the best way? And then we've been very pragmatic about our approach to any given situation, no matter what it is. We just want the public witness to be intact. Okay. So the decision to meet or not meet, for instance, in and around the issue with coronavirus. Some churches have been meeting, some have not. Obviously, John MacArthur is is meeting in their church in California, even under the threat of, I mean, legit persecution, going to prison, going to jail, getting fined, getting shut down, electricity shut off in your home for having a small group. Even in light of all that, they're still meeting. And what I've noticed is Christians throughout the country have been frustrated with him about that. And for the life of me, I can't get it unless this mission idolatry thing is a reality. The decision to meet or not meet has been centered around public witness more than it has been obedience. That was Jonathan Levin's argument and his response 
to John MacArthur and Grace Community Church elders, and it did have some nuance to it, and it was Lehman, so it's always going to have some nuance to it, but a primary issue with to meet or not meet in discussions in elder meetings all across the country has been public witness. What's the community going to think? It's all about preserving what others are going to think about us in the community. Now, think about public discourse. Public discourse on Facebook, on Twitter, and in and throughout the community. Has the aim been to love the brothers and unite around Christ and to understand our brothers and sisters publicly who disagree with us, or has it been to please the world? Let me give you a real-life example of what I'm talking about. In our city, we had a pastor in our city who's actually a friend of mine. He and I had a heated discussion about this. I'm just going to talk publicly about it because he, he talked publicly about it as well. He wrote a public letter to the pastors of the churches in this community and pleaded with us to not meet during this season of coronavirus when now the outbreak is going and all this kind of stuff. And it was an open letter condemning churches who were meeting and basically showing disgust that there were elders in the community who were deciding to meet. And he believed that we were putting, by putting the public at risk, because he wanted to preserve public witness. When we talked, I called him on the phone and I asked him, brother, it seems like, it seems like, based on this letter, that you are far more willing to offend other elders and pastors and churches in this community than you are to offend non-believers in this community. And he point-blank just said, absolutely. He's more willing to offend believers in Christ than he is non-believers in his community. Friends, that's the epicenter of the problem. That is the epicenter of the debate. That's why our public discourse is in disarray. That's why there's backbiting and talking back and forth and articles back and forth. It is primarily an issue of mission idolatry. We are idolizing the mission of God to an inappropriate place at the expense of obedience to God. We're putting public witness in front of obeying God. And that's why so many people are kind of fumbling, trying to figure out, well, when should we meet? When should we not meet? You should meet now. Who cares what your governor says? Who cares what your state says? Meet now. Do not forsake the gathering of the assembly. This is to a group of people who are under severe persecution, by the way. The Hebrew Christians that were under persecution... It would have been nice of God to say, well, don't meet publicly, it's dangerous, that's uh, going to cost a lot from you. You know, love your Christian neighbor and just ask them to worship at home. Friends, there's no such thing as church at home. You can't assemble without assembling. I mean, Jonathan Lehman wrote a really good book about this, which is why I think it's so ironic that he's taken the position that he's taken during this season. You can't assemble without assembling. It would have been really easy of God to say, don't worry about assembling right now publicly. But he didn't. He told us to gather. And we have this pattern throughout the New Testament of public gatherings and private gatherings. You see this in the book of Acts, even under persecution. All throughout the world, Christians publicly meet in violation of public order from their leaders in their state or city or nation. When should we meet? We should meet now. Who cares what the city thinks? Who cares about our public witness? Let God take care of that. Obeying God is the best sort of public witness that you can give. Now, let's look at a couple Bible verses on this, and then I want to quote a friend of mine from a Facebook post that he made last night that I think is really helpful. It actually falls right in line with what we're talking about here. But here's a few verses to think about. First, 1 John 2.15. Here's what John said. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What do you think about that? When we think about how we've approached 2020 issues and how different churches have approached 2020 issues, what has motivated the decision-making? Why are we so divided? I think, I really believe this, 
that there are a majority of Christians who want to be liked by the world. There is a majority group within Christianity of people who want to be liked by the world. Much of our missiology over the last 20 years has been built to be buddy-buddy with the world, friendship evangelism. Some of these things are really good and helpful. After all, we're to become all things to all people, Paul says. But that doesn't mean we're to become all things to all people to buddy-buddy with the world. To present Christianity in such a way where the world kind of looks to the side and thinks, huh, you know that meme where you know that meme where there's a girl walking by, a pretty girl walking by, and the guy's looking back over his shoulder, and you know, like he wants this girl. It's like that with the world. We're looking at the world and thinking, ooh, ooh, I want them to like us, and we're calling it mission. But John says, do not love the world or anything of the world, or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Are we to love the lost? Yes, but not at the expense of obedience to Jesus, not at the expense of following the Lord. What else? John says some other things. Check this out. John 3, 13 and 14. Do not be surprised, brothers, when the world hates you. Why are we surprised? Honest question, pastors. Brothers in ministry. Why are we surprised when the world hates us? That That's a huge question. When they look at your Facebook post, when they hear a sermon, when they see you doing public ministry, when they see you doing door-to-door evangelism, when they see you doing whatever you're doing as you're following the Lord, why are we surprised that the world hates us? But for some reason, we have been catechized to believe that the world should think we're cool, that the world should like us. And pastors, if that's your primary motive, public witness, and a desire for the world to look at us and think we're cool, you will sell out so fast, you will not last, you will be disappointed. You have got to be okay. Not okay, expect, and not be surprised when the world hates you. And if you're not if you're not prepared, if the Holy Spirit has not made your shoulders broad enough to handle the hatred of the world, you're not going to last in ministry. You're just not. And I see pastors and churches all across the country who are completely surprised, shocked, and awed that the world hates them. And so they're disobeying God. Disobeying God. They're offending other brothers and sisters in Christ. If they're not disobeying God, they're offending other brothers and sisters in Christ and disobeying God, disobeying God in that way to preserve what they think they're supposed to preserve, which is their public witness. But the verse goes on. We know, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. If you love non-Christians more than you love Christians, there's something profoundly wrong. An evidence that you're in Christ, a defining marker of you being a Christian, is not that you love the lost. It's that you love your brothers and sisters. That you love the brothers. We know that you pass from death to life if you love the brothers. Because you love the brothers. And a question I've got to ask you, pastor, that you've got to ask your elders and your church. Do you love each other more than you love the lost? Because you're supposed to. The primary motivation of this other pastor in our community was to try to love the world and try to love the non-believer. And he was okay with offending those who he's called to love, his brother, brothers and sisters. This is a profound problem. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Let us do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. Especially those of the household of faith. And friends, I think this whole issue that we're talking about in this episode, I think this is why we have division among us. Let me read a quick post that I saw last night on Facebook from Jonathan Krishman. He's a buddy of mine, says some really good things. You should follow him or add him. He says some really good things. Let me just read this whole post in its entirety. He makes some comments and then he references something that John MacArthur said back in 2011 about the neo-Calvinism movement. 
I must confess, I did not have the foresight MacArthur had in 2011. See his words below. He was largely right about the neo-Calvinism movement. He had wisdom and insight I did not have as a young, energetic pastor. Because mission was everything. Many of the young, restless, and reformed churches were susceptible to compromise. MacArthur called it seeker-sensitive style pragmatism. But really, it was an unguarded application of 1 Corinthians 9.22 that led to that error. An untempered commitment to become all things to all people so that by all means we might save son took us to unhealthy places. A desire to be respected, even valued by the world, became a driving impulse. As a result, a number of promising and otherwise solid neo-Calvinist churches began to lose their theological footing. The most charitable assessment is that our heart for mission got out in front of our head. Eventually, the head followed the heart and compromises began. Now that we are a decade removed, you can see how these early compromises led many churches to heterodoxy and heteropraxy. This is abundantly clear in the rise of acceptance of social justice movement. Many churches that were once faithful have now embraced things like gay Christianity, critical theory, and otherworldly ideas. The high irony is that instead of being salt and light, these missional churches ended up being evangelized by the culture and lost their own commitment to the gospel in the process. Yes and amen. Now here's MacArthur's words that he references. The young, restless, and reform movement, as it is shaping up, also needs to face up to some fairly serious problems and potential pitfalls. As the young, restless, and reform movement has taken shape, some of the best-selling books and leading figures in the movement have been completely uncritical and in some cases openly supportive of seeker-sensitive style pragmatism. And one cannot be genuinely reformed and deliberately worldly at the same time. The two things are inconsistent and incompatible. To embrace the world's fashions and values, even under the guise of being missional, is to make oneself God's enemy. Whoa. That was prophetic. And Jonathan Chrisman read that and made a great post about it. Friends, I think that is the epicenter of the debate. I think that is why we're so divided. The issue of mission idolatry. Go back and listen to episode 92 and then compare it with this episode and I think you'll get some handles on what I'm talking about. Pastor, stand strong. Love the brothers and do not love the world. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.